You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's good, Goat Flippers? It's your host, Flurk, here, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the podcast. If this is your first time here, we welcome you to the Van Flip, where we're not your typical Q&A podcast. If you are listening to us on a platform, you can give us a rating. Just go ahead and give us a five-star, thumbs up, or whatever the highest thing is you can. It definitely helps us out in the algorithm of the podcast world. Visit LambGoat.com to stay up to date on news, releases, and announcements from around the hardcore and metal world. Follow LambGoat on social media. Give us a like on Facebook and follow LambGoat on both Twitter and Instagram at LambGoat. Ooh, also big announcement here. We finally started a Twitter account to better interact with all of you all directly. Go follow at VanFlip Podcast. Tweet us what you think of the show or the next guest we should have on. If you are interested in watching podcasts instead of listening, all our episodes are available on our Lambgoat YouTube channel. So subscribe and make sure you get notified when new episodes are released. I would like to take a quick second to thank our Patreon supporters, Dylan and Lachlan. Thank you for supporting the Van Flip. You guys are awesome. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter too, not only would you help improve and grow the show, but you also get early access to episodes before they are released, an invite to the private Discord chat, some Lambgoat swag, and more. And heck, we'll even give you a shout out on the show for as long as you are a supporter. Visit patreon.com slash the Van Flip for more info. On this episode of the podcast, we have Raven and Thor of the Norwegian black metal band 1349. And shout out to their label, Season of the Mist, for giving us a couple of vinyls to give away. Head over to our YouTube channel for a chance to win 1349's newest release, The Infernal Pathway, as well as their 10-inch single, Dog Scam. Oh yeah, what's this? I feel this. Oh yeah, this is uh Oh no, Oh no, no, no. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Try not to drown, you know? <laughs> All right, well, welcome back to the Van Flip Podcast here. we uh, t- This week's guest, or today's guest, is Raven and Thor from the Norwegian black metal band, 1394. Nope, 1349. 1349. I was dyslexic right there. 1349. Um, you guys just had a new album come out um, last week on the 18th. It's your seventh studio album. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that been received? Very well, uh, and... All the reviews have been fantastic. Um, a lot of good press. System Mist really came through on everything and did their part of the job. And, uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's nothing to complain about so far. And one week in, it, uh, it's looking good. So yeah, you guys, um, like I said, it's your seventh, your seventh release over the years. You guys have done this whole band thing for over 20 years almost. Um, you kind of actually started doing vocals, but then switched to drums. Were you doing drums and vocals at the same time? I did both, yeah, in the beginning, yeah. And like, were you I mean, playing live like that as well? No, we never got to that point, but it was always the intention to, um, uh, to have a session drummer for live situations. But right. on rehearsals, I did, I did both, yeah. I was curious to that because when I read about that, I was thinking like, that's never probably been done in black metal in general on the live show, so. Well, Absu, of course, Absu, has a yeah. drummer that sings, uh, and there's other bands too. Of course, none jump into my mind immediately, <laughs> but uh, but Absu, yeah, from Texas. Yeah. Okay. Absu from Texas. Yeah. Drummer. So it is done. But it's done, but it's, it's like been very done. rare, you know. Yeah. It just seems like it would be a lot to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the, the reason for, for me to to originally um, to have a session drummer was then to to be a frontman, basically, or to, to have the interaction with the audience, which is, it always helps on the, uh, on the, on the performance and, and how you, the band looks live, you know, and yeah. if the drummer is hidden behind a drum kit, so either you need to push the drum kit forward and 
that was never an option. So after uh, a couple of years, um, uh, we shared rehearsal rooms, uh, a rehearsal room with the Satyricon at the time. And uh, Frost is uh, a friend of mine, and um, he heard some of the new material, and he said that, well, uh, if we needed a, a, I don't know, say a permanent drummer, he, he was happy to join. So, mm-hmm. and he the, still kind of does both band, both projects still, he does right? Both, yeah. yeah. So That's it's the easiest job and uh, easiest decision I had to make ever. <laughs> I just fired myself as a drummer and hired Frost. You know, so. Well, at least there's no hard feelings there. No, I can well. I, not that I talk about much. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And Tor, you're in a, you're in another band as well. Uh, Pantheon One or? Uh, here's the thing. I, I, it's true that I am in other bands, but uh, Pantheon I disappeared in 2010. Mm. That band is officially dead. I think it's just that no one has told the internet. Oh, well. Um, well, now I, we are, you know. I have, uh, my own band called Svart Lotus, which uh, I play guitars and sing. And I do bass for an um, old Norwegian band called Mortem, mm-hmm. with some <coughs> dudes that are a bit older than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Pantheon is dead. I think it's probably good that I, I say this to the internet, that Pantheon is gone. <laughs> I haven't done shit with that band for Stop bringing years. it up, right? Yeah, exactly. If you want to talk about other shit, I do talk about Swart Lotus. <laughs> is it tough juggling multiple, like, Multiple people in your band that have multiple, you know, outlets as far as their music goes. Well, yes, it's always the logistics around it yeah. can be challenging. But um, and are all the projects like in a different avenue of metal or different genre of music altogether? Are they all are they similar in any way? There's no point in doing similar stuff. I mean, yeah. um, when if. A band that sounded more or less like 1349 say, Hey, you want to play with us? Like, no, I have 1349. I don't need a, a clone. That's boring. Uh, Smart Lotus is totally different expression of, it's still metal, of course, because I am damaged by what I am. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but I don't want to do the same thing. Uh, if, if I write music that sounds this is great for 1349, then that'll be a 1349. I won't give it to something else. So you do come up with ideas in your head that are for specific, uh, yeah. With with, uh, with um, for instance, with Smart Lotus, I have this magical BPM border. Okay, if it's faster than this, thirteen forty nine takes it. <laughs> okay, but um, that's just how it is. But uh, but uh, I don't want to do same thing. I I have for I need to be able to express something. <laughs> Which is hard for me when I'm speaking into microphone, but I'm, uh, yeah, putting yeah. on the spot is, is rough. Yeah, I get it. But uh, but I, I music for me is uh, very much an expression of who and what I am, and to do it, it must give me something, and it must be special. It must be unique, and it must be something that I feel is an extension of me. Thirteen forty nine has been a part of my life for the last twenty year plus years, and it's a very very specific. Uh, expression of me and what I am and that's why I have the Sideman persona to do that stuff because mm-hmm. it's fucking extreme all the bads I do do different expressions and I can be me in a way nice it's it's a difficult concept to explain I, I understand yeah you have different you have different sides of you that you want to share with different projects um, so the infernal uh, the infernal pathway just just came out and I did see a lot of reviews for it on YouTube and other things like that. It looks like a lot of people are really enjoying that album. And you did have a lot of success, uh, within the same, you know, group of people with your last album. Um, what do you think is more drawing to the current release than your previous releases? Well, the thing with, uh, the Infernal Pathway was that since it was our seventh album, we uh, we set out to to take it to uh, a whole new level when it comes to exploring the occult. And since like seven is the most occult number you can get, mm-hmm. it was pretty obvious that that was the right direction to to go. So um, we changed up uh, the lyrical theme, and um, it's basically it became obvious after. After all the lyrics were uh, recorded and, and the album was uh, going into the mixing process, and uh, he came and come to the studio and uh, 
uh, he read the lyrics and it's like you said there's one common denominator here in, in uh, everything and uh, it's one word that sticks with me and that is the abyss mm. and that whole process kind of was a subconscious process it wasn't something that we set out to do but this album basically grew out of us in in a more natural way and this was also the thing with Massive that it felt very natural when we made that there were like no obstacles and like um, sometimes when you, when you make an album you have to like work really hard on things to figure it out but here like the pieces kind of fall more mm -hmm. in place that could be of course and it also is uh, a part of it is uh, all the experience that you have over the years but it's something about the feeling that you get when you're in the studio you, you kind of you know that it's right and it's spot on the music and like when especially when i do vocals uh, i feel it immediately mm -hmm. when it's like when it's right this is how it should be and i know like when i hear this song i i can feel the vocal patterns how i want to lay out the vocals mm -hmm. and all of these processes uh, with the album in general was uh, very fluid and organic and natural and it it laid out very easily to put it in a blunt way but yeah it was uh, it was good it felt you, good to make it basically yeah well that's good obviously if you if it comes naturally and it's easy and you're proud of it then it's probably going to come out well it also helps to have uh, we brought in Jared Pritchett again that worked with us on uh, on massive uh, mm -hmm. of chaos and of course he's uh, he's a technical wizard <laughs> beyond <laughs> doesn't have any limitation when it comes to that so any demands or any questions that we had he, he's able to pull it off and to have him in in the process uh being there all the time and i don't have to be there all the time and and, and produce the albums full time which uh, which we used to just that relief you can like take the step back and and, and see it from a distance and, and focus on other things in yeah, general so yeah that, and then the solutions come come in much quicker and if you you're stuck in a studio um, through the whole process you get uh, yeah you can get um uh, get a, a narrow vision on things yeah like cabin yeah. fever or so or you get short very short-sighted about things for sure yeah, and that will make the the mixing process much much harder, and yeah, so it adds up. But uh, to so to to bring in a professional uh, like Jared is uh, has helped a lot, and uh, also I think that uh, he he understands. He also does uh, does us uh, live, you know. Mm -hmm. So to kind of he knows how the band works in a live situation, and he can utilize that also in the studio. So it gets a more organic feeling, basically. And um, as far as mixing goes, how hands-on are you in this last album? Because, uh, like you said, you were doing a lot of your own engineering in the early days. So, you know, are you very, like, perfectionistic when it comes to, like, how the album sounds? And, the you know, like, afterwards and everything is said and done. Like, how how crazy can you get nitpicking, like, mixing and stuff like that? Well, it could be crazy, you know. I mean, uh, like the hardest, the hardest album I ever mixed was uh, Hellfire, and when it was done, I couldn't listen to it for a month, you know. <laughs> and when I started to listen to it again, then um, I realized that I had to mix it once more mm. because there was like things that I wanted to change. Uh, but after that was done, then I'm, then I was happy with it. And um, are you ever like fully happy with how something sounds, or do you always like? years later go and listen because obviously your skills grow big you, you know you get, you get yeah, better well, skills and you get a better ear no you have bigger. to draw a line and that, that <laughs> that's kind of what you the first thing you learn when you when you record albums is that you just have to make a decision and stick with it mm -hmm. at some point you have to just draw a line otherwise you you will never be finished you know you can you can work on an album for 20 years yep. and that's uh, some people do that but uh, it's not very not very economic and uh, not, <laughs> not very <laughs> not economic. And if you want to, if you want to tour, it's um, it's good to get an album up as well, so we have something to, to um, tour on. Yeah. So you guys, uh, did you record this in Oslo or in Norway and everything? So over there, um, one of the cool things, or I guess one of the interesting things that's happened with this particular album, you announced, um, or you released a song earlier this year. I'm gonna like butcher the way you say it. 
Dodscamp. Oh, it's close. That's come. Okay. There's like a, you know, a different letter in there that I'm not, I don't know how to pronounce. So yeah, the O with the line through it. Um, so the Norwegian government kind of approached you guys about writing a song, you know, to one of the paintings of, uh, uh, is it Munch? Monk? Edward Monk. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so you guys basically, you just went through the catalog of imagery and decided which one that you wanted to and then, does that also come into like the occult kind of feel? Because the painting that you picked obviously gives it a little grim. It's like a kind of a grim painting altogether, you know. Yeah, well, it's that whole project was. Uh, yeah, how did that even start? And they so the it's called Monk Plus Music, and um, it was they chose four very different uh, artists to interpret uh, a monk painting of their own choosing. And um, they wanted us to to be the more extreme side of it. And um, first we first we declined it because uh, we didn't have time to do it. Um, but then they came back uh, after a couple of days and uh, they said that. Uh, so what would it take? What what would the timeline be? Mm-hmm. What can you work with? And then we felt that we were kind of trapped and we had to <laughs> yeah. we had to accept and. Um, then we started working on it, or basically uh, our guitar player started working on it because he was the one that, first of all, he's, he's a huge fan of Edward Monk. And then um, uh, being the main composer as well, he, he spearheaded that whole project. And um, the song that came out of it was, uh, was spectacular. And um, we, we played it to uh, Season of Mist. They didn't know about this either, so suddenly just contact them and said, so we're doing this project. And, mm-hmm. uh, like, what? And then they listened to it and it's like, um, so we want to do this as a hard copy as well. And so basically just, that's where it came. It was like, came onto the album. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the song was done and uh, as more songs developed for the album, because we were basically in the, in the middle of the process of writing the album when this request came. And uh, that's why we kind of declined it. Yeah, uh, that and a couple of other uh, first was on tour, and yeah, the, there were different stuff going on. But uh, when the song was done and the other songs started to uh, to be ready for the album, it, it became very clear that that scamp had to be included in the album because it it, it fitted in mm-hmm. in the whole. Uh, it basically basically just fitted in in the album. It uh, was a part of the album. Interesting. So we re-recorded it for the album. So that's oh, you did a whole other recording. That's a different version. We also we were trying. Uh, the original idea was to have Norwegian lyrics on it, um, uh, but I wasn't happy with uh, the lyrics. Uh, did the original recording have yeah Norwegian lyrics on no, it? No, that has uh, uh, English lyrics as well. Okay, as this uh, album version. But uh, in the studio, we had time to sit down uh, and we wrote uh, we wrote some Norwegian lyrics for it as well. So we made um, one uh, one version with Norwegian lyrics as well. So that is included on um, in the special uh, box edition, right? As a bonus track. Cool. Yeah, you can also release like a B side vinyl or something like that too with that. Yes, yeah, so um, basically, we have like three different versions of that song now. <laughs> <laughs> the first recording, first the second, recording, then the second the recording, yeah. recording, and then the Norwegian, Norwegian version. Um, do you guys do you guys normally write your lyrics in English, or was that something that you kind of adapted to, or is that something that's from the get go? From the get go, yeah. Is that something that's uh, prevalent in like in Norway as far as like with extreme and extreme metal and black metal? Do a lot of the bands write in their native tongue, or do they try to write in American, like in English or whatnot? Well, both. The thing is that um, for us, uh, we quickly realized that Norway was never going to be our market. Really, I mean, black metal isn't <laughs> huge. Well, it's not huge anywhere, but <laughs> particularly not in Norway. So, to to kind of get heard and to go beyond Norway we, we should write in English and I was always comfortable expressing myself in English particularly in writing I mean I fucking hate speaking it but, um, <laughs> because of my ridiculous accent but uh, but I was always very comfortable with the written English so it wasn't until when the fuck did I write something in Norwegian for 1349? 
Deadscope? Yeah, it was the Deadscope. Yeah, I guess that's the first. <laughs> because the Psalm 777 is uh, yeah. Destroyer. So. Yeah, right. So yeah, Deadscope was then actually the first lyric I wrote for 1349 in Norwegian. Took 20 years. Yeah. Hey, we got it out though. Yeah, well. It's a, it's a thing as well is that um, it, it's much easier to sing um, so the, the, the rhythm is yeah the cadences to, and everything to, to fit uh, yeah. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, with the English text than uh, with Norwegian yeah I could I could see that um, you guys do a lot of touring over the last you know twenty plus years do you do you find it um, easier to tour on that side of the globe comparatively to like you know the Americas in general. Well, the U.S. is where we tour the most. This will be our 13th uh, North American tour. So. Yeah, you guys are always over here, I see. <laughs> so we, we toured way more over here and, uh, than we have in Europe, actually. So there are no four tours? No, it's, no, it's more. But... You sure? Five, maybe. But I There's... mean, we, we did the, the first one with uh, the Harvest. Then two Cotterbells tours. Mm-hmm. And then we did the... Uh, 2014. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's four. <laughs> then some UK tours. Yeah, the one with the Goat Ahead. Mm-hmm. That's one. Do you play like the festivals circuit and yeah, everything you, out there? Yeah. You have all the festivals. So basically, if you reach out to... You play one festival, you reach out to like 50,000, 60,000 people. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of people at one time for sure. So you don't have to... Like uh, it's not until recent years that the, the 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 festival market is starting to pick up in the U.S. as well. Yeah, uh, more like that it is in Europe. Yeah, it's always been kind of a big thing out in Europe as far as like the festival uh, circuit is concerned. Um, do you enjoy playing those bigger shows like that, or do you prefer playing like more intimate situations? It, it swings both ways. It's uh, sometimes if it's I mean, it, it basically boils down to the working conditions mm-hmm. and, and and the spot you play and everything. Um, Do you like? Because I, I I watched a couple of your interviews recently this week, and there's a couple times where you've been in like festivals that are outdoor, you know, that are more outdoor, uh, set in nature, so to speak. Um, Do you find that that's a better like venue for your for your band's music rather than like a club or? For me, it doesn't matter. It's um, uh, you're on the stage regardless, and the, the equipment that are on stage is basically the same. Mm-hmm. And the surroundings are mostly drunk people, and so there's not much that changes actually. Um, it's it's how many people that you you're able to reach at the same time, and um, well, you have the, with the club concert, you have the audience much closer, and. Um, some of these festivals, it could be like, um, like twenty feet to the audience. Right, you know? right. So, I mean, like you can, you can't, you can't <laughs> like look them in the eyes. That you yeah, can it's a little club, different. You know? And it, if I had to choose, I would probably choose uh, a club concert because it's it's more intimate and um, something about that uh, that connection that you get with the audience uh, yeah. makes it special, and that's also why. Why you want a tour, you know, you want to meet your fans face to face. And uh, that's a huge part of it. You want to present your art to, to the fans, you know. And mm-hmm. Then to look them in the eyes when, while you perform it is, uh, is to a, connect, it's, yeah. it's a rewarding situation as well. Right. Have you ever um, thought about moving over here since you guys tour all the time? <laughs> no, thank you. I'm <laughs> very comfortable uh, in, uh, in Norway. so uh, I understand. Well, if someone's paying for you to come over and, and whatnot, you know, obviously, sort of like a free vacation, not necessarily a free vacation, because there's a lot of work involved, but... Oh, it's hard work, yeah. yeah. How, do you guys have any um, issues getting, like, visas or anything like that? No, it's been a couple of times that they've been... Uh, uh, the process has been delayed a little bit, uh, because you never know when you when you... When you deliver the visa papers, it's basically, and basically you take all the papers and you throw it up in the air and you don't know how it's going to land. Right. How long does the process usually take? Like, how long do you guys start working on it before a tour? Oh, uh, like six months. Wow. Yeah. 
And then, uh, but the process from when you file the papers till you get an answer can be anything from like three months to like um, 15 days. Hmm. So basically you don't know that either. So basically like you're, you know, your government moves about as fast as our government does, you know, they don't really rush anything. No, we only deal with your government. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have to do anything with ours. Right. They don't care where we go. So. Well, then yes, for sure. They, they definitely like to drag their feet on those, that kind of things, like very bureaucratic. Well, I don't mind. I can I can tolerate all the the paperwork process, uh, even though any type of paperwork I found extreme find extremely boring. But it's the amount of money that it costs that's mm-hmm. starting to become um, the biggest issue. You know, it's like it's more than three thousand dollars to to get visas for us. You know, per person or all together? No, that's all together, and so it's more, it's more than three thousand dollars now. Mm. And uh, then you need to fly over here, and I mean, that's costly as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of costs that go involved with that. Yeah, um, it's it's always something. But <laughs> I have to say that that after uh, your new administration came in, uh, the visa process uh, has been faster. Really? I don't know if that has something to do with it, but uh, interesting. I, it is interesting. I guess people thought the opposite. Yeah. We also come, I mean, you know, and again, you're coming from like a Scandinavian country, which is basically kind of like, you know, there's not, we don't have that many issues with you guys there. So that could be it too. No, that, well, that's one thing. Another thing is that it's also, we've been there before. Yeah. I'd say this is our 13th tour. So. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you guys have, uh, after 10 punches, you get, you know, a free visa in the mail or something like that after 10 times. Yeah. Right? You can get the same as, as coffee shops. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Raven, you kind of, uh, you kind of claim that your, your, uh, your base for like your motivation to be in a band and like your principle for writing like extreme metal, black metal or whatever was, um, a band, uh, Mayhem and then Celtic Frost were two of your big influences. Well, Celtic Frost. In the early days, I should say. And Hellhammer are obviously a couple of big influences, but there there, there are several. the band that really is sparked um, and, and gave me the name uh, Black Metal was, was Gerson. Mm. First time I heard that, because that music was labeled Black Metal. And that when I heard that music, it was like, this is the type of music that I'm looking for. I was a huge Slayer fan, and I thought that Slayer was the, pretty much the, most, the perfect band. But then I heard Gerson, I was like, <laughs> this is even more extreme. Right, oh, right, right. This is perfect. It can be, be this way. And then... Um, then I was just happy being a, a, a black metal fan, you know. Mm-hmm. I was a fan of the genre and all the other bands that started around the same time, you know. Mayhem uh, had already been out, so I discovered them. And Dark Throne was there, and Emperor, obviously, Immortal, and Slade. And, uh, of course, Thorns. Yeah. But uh, towards the later half of the 90s, uh, the whole black metal... Mm, era turned into more uh, orchestrated uh, and uh, like operatic like a yeah, different so, instruments and stuff no it's just basically it's like synthesizers playing an oh, okay. orchestra and uh, it's uh, the dress code became more of a, a, a goth theme mm-hmm. and they still call it black metal and it didn't give me gave, gave me that uh, that same feeling that uh, that I had first time I heard Gerson you know and, that was labeled black metal to me. And um, that's when I decided to uh, to form 1349, to uh, to make black metal the way I wanted it to, to be. And mm-hmm. I found uh, people that shared that same vision, and we never looked back, you know. Yeah. We were just focused on making our own black metal, so and keeping that... Keeping that old flame alive and that feeling that we felt that the first time we heard a black metal band. Yeah. And go from there on and discover and evolve both uh, our music and as musicians, basically. Interesting. That's, that's been the, the term for it. And people always ask also the, that uh, it's been a steady lineup for so many years. And I say that this can be probably one of the reasons it's not a band formed by friends to have fun it's a band formed by uh, individuals that share the same vision mm. mm-hmm. and um, 
that's probably a good note for a younger <laughs> audience to you know catch on to because if you do start a band with friends there are times where it can you know kind of grow apart and have issues yeah. but if you all share the common you know vision it's also it's, uh, at some point uh, if you're gonna do something with the band uh, money will be involved at some point <laughs> and then yeah. money between friends can uh, can also be an issue alex actually had a, a question um about money in black metal and, and everything like that he was wondering like do you guys have other jobs back home or is this basically like your full-time gig? Yeah, because like we said, it doesn't seem to be a lot of money floating around in hard music in general for the most part, let alone like a niche market. No, well, it's a subgenre and the money is is not why you start right. playing back metal, basically. it's Well, it could be, but I don't know what... <laughs> What country you should live in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Norway is a pretty expensive country to begin with, so um, now you have to you have to have some other uh, incomes in order to make ends meet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, just just happy that we're able to have uh, to get a, a deal, you know, so that we, we can release our music and. And we have fans that, that buy it, so we were able to maintain and, and sustain as a band. Mm-hmm. And a band is nothing without their fans, basically. That's for sure. That's for sure. What about that part of the world attracts a lot of people that like extreme metal as far as, like, it just seems like all the Scandinavian areas love, like, black metal and extreme metal and dark metal and stuff like that. Why, why is that? Well, the thing is that it might seem like that. But take, for instance, Norway. It's not like there's a million black metal bands in Norway, <laughs> but there's 10 guys who play in 500 different bands. Um, I don't really know what it is about Scandinavia. I mean, Finland has the highest density of metal bands per capita, whatever, how, how it is. I per think capita? Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Finland, then Sweden, then Norway, then Iceland. I don't know about Denmark, really. But uh, they only have all bit. Well, they have it in Ireland. Well, no, he's American. He lives here now. He lives in Dallas. Okay. Well, then they only have that. But um, I mean, technically speaking, there's not a lot of hardship for for the Scandinavians. We we mostly do okay. There's not a lot of war. There's not a lot of famine. We get bored, and we live in places where it's dark most of the year. Yeah. Summers are short. Winters are long. Um, and we live close to nature. Many of us, at least, live close to nature. And I believe that nature is the key thing when it comes to black metal. This feeling that you get from nature and... Uh, well, first time I heard, well, Buddhism, there was this um, image in my head of a forest in the winter, mm-hmm. right? This majestic, if you will, nature mysticism sort of, which is really fucking weird to speak of when you live in a very secular country, <laughs> right? But but uh, people also got to understand that back in the 80s, 90s, there were two countries in the world that had a Christian, or not a Christian, but a religious leader as the leader of the country. Mm-hmm. That one would be Iran, as everyone knows, and then it was Norway. You had a priest as a prime minister for quite a while. It definitely gives, like, uh, that's when I think in my head, the imagery of, like, black metal, extreme metal, it definitely is very uh, nature, nature-oriented, a lot of snow, too. So I, I kind of, you know, get that whole vibe. Um not particularly for your band by itself, but what there seems to be a lot of like uh, face paint and whatnot going on with a lot of like metal acts and stuff like that. Where where does that kind of come from? Is that kind of like in the culture over there, or is it something that you just I don't know? Maybe saw Kiss one day and you know that was cool, or like how does that imagery play into the band itself? 
Or the music, per se. Well, I think in black metal, a lot of the early, early guys love Kiss. I mean, everyone I speak to who's some years older than me, they all seem to love Kiss. Yeah, I think everyone, yeah. yeah and, um, of course, there are others in in music history who has used corpse paints. I would say The Greater Effect, Arthur Brown and The Crazy World. You did the whole corpse paint and the God of Hellfire stuff. Screaming Jay Hawkins did a lot of theatrics. It's theatrics, but I can only kind of speak for myself, I guess. But the... Um, the paint was a part of the kind of black metal tradition that we wanted to keep mm-hmm. with 3049. And for me, as a performer, when you're going to do something that's very extreme and demanding and you're kind of purifying a part of yourself in a way. I, <clears throat> I think purifying is the wrong word here. Destill, destill, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll get around to it. Uh, I need time. So I can go up on stage and do this force that 3049 is. And then I need the paint to kind of... It's a ritual. Basically. Yeah, ritualize mm-hmm. basically. And put on your war paint and go to war. Mm-hmm. There, There's um, almost spiritual dimension to it in a way. Because you, you, you use it to focus and to get ready to go out there and do proper black metal. I, I don't really have a good way to explain that. Yeah, so you're basically just kind of keeping the vibe alive with the, you know, with the early fans that came before you and just, like you said, your vision of keeping it Yeah, know, but it's, it's also, um, also, as you said, uh, it, it's uh, the preparation for, for a show. and It's to put on the paint. It's just like, uh, just like a ritual. And in... This is come from many cultures. Yeah, like going to war, like yeah, you, you said it or, or Thor said it. Yeah, mm. it's definitely like a going to battle, you know. Yeah. So you put on your your war face. How long does that take you? Depends on how much time you have. But, uh, <laughs> uh, like 20 minutes is uh, it's a good time. Then you can do it properly. It's, Interesting. It, um, it can be done in shorter time as well. but Won't look as good? No, but it's something... You like to take your time with it, you know, since uh, it has this ritualistic feeling. And then it's, it's good to sit down and you focus on the, you focus on the mirror and you put on the paint and you get into the zone. And that's. Yeah, I, get, I can get that. I can see that. Yeah. Just kind of losing yourself within, you know, applying your war paint. And then again, you have to psych yourself up to get ready for battle. So it's basically like psyching yourself up to get on stage and, you know, yeah, like, if you if you spend some time just uh, stare at yourself in front of a mirror uh, regardless <laughs> of, of paint or anything it's like yeah. something happens you know and your mind starts you tap into something completely different yeah yeah um it's weird but uh, it works well yeah it, it does and it does work for again that style of, of metal and everything like that it doesn't look like off the wall so to speak like when bands, you know, when bands do it or other artists do it, sometimes it does look disingenuous. But I think with the history that it has in black metal and whatnot, that it, it just comes across like, ah, this is how it's supposed to be, you know. Yeah, and it's also, black metal is a very, uh, at least to me, a very, uh, a very primal uh, emotional state. And you kind of you tap into uh, tap into your primal instincts, mm-hmm. and to go into a so so to speak a black and white mode. It's clean edges. Yeah, and it makes it a little easier. Just to... there you are. Um, over the years, you've toured with many artists, among others, you've toured with um, Origin, Suffocation, and Cannibal Corpse. Uh, which of those three bands is the best death metal band in your opinion? Origin. 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 <laughs> no, no one can come close to those. Yeah. Those dudes, uh, they're just ridiculous. So good. Um, where I'm tra- these are all the questions that I've been sent in, so I'm trying to read through them. Mm-hmm. Some of them we've already talked about just unknowingly, so, uh, Alex asked about why there's so much black metal out there. And, uh, 
is it are things that depressing over there but obviously we already tapped into that um you were mentioning earlier you found slayer mm-hmm. um my, i had a question about like how did that part of the world find like black or, or, or metal in general uh and then how easy was it for you guys to just kind of like share and find new bands at a time where like the internet really wasn't prevalent so to speak you know everyone at least here was doing the tapes in the 80s and 90s and everything like that i'm sure you guys were doing that too over there um was it hard for you guys to get american metal or american you know bands over there for that subculture i should say not necessarily like mainstream rock but you had to do some digging basically uh to find the, the more underground extreme stuff, but it was a lot of tape trading. I mean, uh, you you could find easily all the mainstream shit, of course, and um, some of the older, like Slayer, and that you could find that easily. I mean, Metallica was on the radio, right? So yeah, you, you could get stuff that was similar to that. But um, a lot of the kind of underground black metal stuff spread by tape trading. Was it more local, like, bands from Europe, or was it a mix of, you know, everywhere? It's a mix, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. And if you, like, want, if if you wanted to, to really uh, explore, you had to had to go to, to Oslo, to the capital, and there were, like, special shops there mm-hmm. that you could find, that were, like, importing all sorts of weird stuff. Like, for instance, uh, Euronymous did with uh, his store. You know, right. Helvet. It's like a more of a niche kind yeah. of market mm-hmm. for that, yeah. You had all these niche stores that for oh, every cool. subgenre, basically. And, of course, there wasn't that many subgenres at that time either. Right, right, right. So it was it was a metal store and it had, like, all, all types of metal. And then you can find, like, the harder type of metal. Is that is that something that's still prevalent over there, or with like the no, internet, is it kind of? Okay. Well, there's a, a fantastic huge used uh, metal store in Oslo that actually holds place in the old um, location that uh, Helvete was. Interesting. Uh, it's called uh, Nosebleed Records. Nesebru. Nesebru. And he has there's so much stuff. He basically has everything. Get lost for days in there. Yeah. You can spend a week in there, and still you still has stuff other places. Mm-hmm. It's it's just crazy. How do you think, like, uh, how, like in the last twenty years, like, how do you think everything's changed as far as like within the metal, um, the metal genre, as far as like you know getting discovered or trading tapes or doing all that, like with the birth of the internet and the ability for like you to easily connect with someone halfway across the world instantly, rather than you know one day maybe your tape might get you know around the world like do you guys think it's easier nowadays or do you wish maybe you were kind of like born in this time frame as far as that's concerned it swings both ways it's um i mean the the big uh record labels they lost a bit of their power but it seems that they gained it back somehow yeah but before it was i think the best thing about how it used to be was that the record labels decided which band that was going to be out there and then all of them could play they were good musicians mm-hmm. otherwise they wouldn't come out there and uh, so they kind of kept that uh, higher musicianship quality if you wanted to be a musician then you really really had to work really hard for it yeah to, to be signed basically right, right 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 to make the cut yeah uh, but then, uh, of course, you had like the smaller labels and stuff, the indie labels that did the more loose type of <laughs> genres. Right, right. So, we're worried about making as much money. Yeah, but they tried more from the internet, I guess. So, the, the balance was more equalized mm-hmm. with that type. And, of course, the, the promotional value, but it also opened up for anyone with a, with a computer. And some skills to make their own band and flood the market. So, right. So it's much, much harder to to get out there because everybody's pumping everything all the time. Putting and, whatever they want out there. Yeah, and find, <laughs> you, know, you want to find a new band. That whole, that whole 
thing of, of, of finding a band and discover a new band. Like that joy when you went through the record store and you, you went and listened to a, a, either an LP or a CD, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, this is good. And you found a new band in the catalog because it, either it was distributed by the same uh, label or... Uh, had cool it, artwork. It, it stood, yeah, cool artwork, obviously, and, and or it stood in the same genre as other bands that yeah. you like. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I was gonna say, how do you do you find new bands? Or do you no, find no. new bands like on the road at least, or do you just like if how they, do you if get... they come recommended uh, <laughs> by people that I trust? Yeah, then I can listen. Then I would just, but then it's Spotify or Apple Music, you know, you just, yeah, or YouTube, you know, you just, you find them online. But in a way, though, too, like uh, if you leave it just up to that, there's a chance that the algorithm's only going to put you know whatever. Um, you know, like bigger artists, obviously within that subgenre, that's what they're going to pump to you. You know, yeah, because they paid for the placement. Right, 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 right. Um, so speaking of like new bands or, or in general, what are like um, what are like three American uh, metal? It doesn't have to necessarily be black metal or anything like that. Cause I, but what are like three metal bands that you guys, you know, are fond of yourself? In the U.S.? Yeah, it could be current or older, obviously. Actually, if you want to do current and older, that'd be great. Because Slayer, we've already said Slayer, so obviously yeah, you're going to Slayer. Yeah, and uh, I, I also like Exodus a lot. So mm. It's uh, something, uh, a band that um, that's fallen, that I think hasn't gotten that much, uh, as much attention as they should have. I don't see why Exodus isn't... Uh, a, just as big ass layer, basically, but mm-hmm. uh, I also know the industries. <laughs> I know how things work. Right, right, right. But, uh, Not everything goes according to plan. No, that's one thing. And uh, you wanna? Hey, I was gonna take the time to um, bring up. I guess they're not new anymore. The thing is, I I don't really pay attention. Uh, our engineer Jared Pritchard plays in a band called Pulchra Morte, mm-hmm. which is fucking great. Um, we toured with a bunch of kids called Black Crown Initiate, mm-hmm. which plays a very modern form of metal that I can't really say I understand. That was here in the States? Or? Yeah. Yep. Okay. But those kids are fantastic. And musically, it's very, very interesting, even though it's modern and they have plenty of strings and it's complicated <laughs> as shit. Uh, but yeah, I mean... There's a lot of good, uh, good bands out there. Bands we toured with. Origin again. <laughs> Origin, yeah. It's just ridiculous. You know? Yeah. So what's the plan going forward for, for you guys? I mean, obviously you just came off of the, <clears throat> you just came off the release of the new album. Um, do you guys foresee yourself taking a little more time? Or I'm sorry, no, not as much time. Cause it was like five, five years between the two, the last two albums. Pretty much to the date, five years, yeah. Because sometimes you guys release an album like the next year or the next follow, you know, two years from there. It just seemed like, uh, um, you know, what, what's going forward for you guys as far as like plans? Well, 1349 is a band that thrives from, from chaos, you know, so there's no, we can't tell because the band decides by itself, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of chaos going on in the world in general, so you should have enough. Well, that's well, we don't pay too much attention to the world in general. It's <laughs> also a good. Uh, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, it's uh, yeah to read the news. It's, it's how not, long? It's not worth it. How long do you guys? Because uh, you guys are. This is the first day of your tour. First day to that. How long do you guys plan on being here in the states? Well, the tour ends in Atlanta on the 16th of November. Okay. It goes up um, on the east coast into Canada and then comes back down through the Midwest um, and back out through Denver, down to Albuquerque, out to the west coast, and then back through Texas. And do you guys normally hit the same spots or do you try to expand where you you know, you know book your shows at? Uh, the different tours hit, always hit different markets. Mm-hmm. If we can... Uh, it's always about the routing, where you're going to go and the time that you have available for a tour. That's also always an issue. So like this time around, um, uh, the Pacific uh, uh, Northwest wasn't included. 
um, due to time issues, obviously. And so that that is something that we we will include on the next round. So we mm-hmm. always do like different rounds and then go into Canada and like do the more the northern parts. And um, but it's all you, you basically you, you always go through some of the major markets like New York, uh, Chicago. Yeah, you have to hit those obviously. Either San Francisco, Oakland, or LA, and it's um, some some of those um, in those areas you always go by, you know. And there's also some places if you go to other places, there's also some places that you pass and right. and then maybe you play some new places, uh, but. It's it's an art form, even that to to, <laughs> yeah, to, to put up a, a tour, you know, and then to hit the right markets and the right spots and and find and also to find the offers, you know. Mm-hmm. How often do you guys? How often are you able to come over? Is it once a year? Is it multiple times a year? Uh, it's uh, and will it be more now that you because you just released an album, obviously, so you're going to yeah. be playing that a lot. It's uh, when you release an album, we'll we'll do. It also depends on how long the visa lasts, mm. and uh, so that is combined with um, other schedules and other tours, other places in the world. But um, yeah, we will hopefully be back uh, one more round on this visa. Cool. Um, but that will be next year, some sometime. Well, um, yeah, you guys are just starting off your tour tonight, so that'll be fun. Uh, do you guys have any other things that you want to say? Obviously, any bands you want to plug? Obviously, you've done that. So, any like last words for the? No, I just hope that uh, people uh, enjoy the album and come out on tour. You know, and, yeah. And uh, see you out. All right, take it easy. Cool. Appreciate that, guys. So, thank you so much. Oh yeah, more than welcome. It'll be a little longer than usual, so. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.